Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. February in the garden. Well, we've had a nice few weeks of cold weather, haven't we, Chris? Oh, we have indeed, Peter. It's been been good, and uh, you know, since since Christmas, actually, we've had quite a bit of normal weather we'd expect at this time. Yeah, of the year. proper winter at last, and indeed. it's been very dry, hasn't it? It has, yeah, um, yeah. I think going back through January, if we look back at their figures, they're saying fifty percent drier than normal. So, okay. uh, so that's that's probably good in one respect because we have had some very wet winters over previous years, which have caused all sorts of problems for for all of us, you know, whether we're gardening or not. Yeah, isn't it? I think that's always one of the joys of gardening in the winter, isn't it? You tramp across the um, vegetable patch and you know, your boots are absolutely covered in mud by the end of it but uh, yeah. that, that's the joy of it isn't it yeah but certainly that the frost is good for us gardeners i mean yes it does help to break down especially on clay soil so often you know gardeners are often encouraged to what they call rough dig so you keep the soil nice and open so the the frost breaks down to create that wonderful word is it tilth which we really need to yep. be improving especially if we're going to be doing lots of sowings of, of veg seeds in the next few few weeks so uh, yeah all round it's good and of course for, i suppose for the wildlife it's it's sort of double-edged really i certainly have been topping up my uh, bird feeders a lot at yep. recent times and they seem to have a, an insatiable appetite for uh, for food so yeah i think it's it's good it's it's feeling like quite a normal winter that's it. And snowdrops are just starting mm. to poke their head through, aren't they? They are indeed, yes. I did see a real nice patch uh, on a walk the other day, which is encouraging. But um, certainly one plant on the, on the garden centre here, which is smelling amazing, is the sweet box. Okay. So that's a is that soccer cocker? That's it, yes. Yeah, it's um I mean it's all sweet box, sometimes called Christmas box. I don't yep. quite sure why. I think it, maybe it, perhaps it, one year it did flower in, in December, but normally it's uh, it's well into into late January, February when it's doing its thing and it smells amazing. So it's certainly a little bit of a gem of a plant to have. Either in a pot close to a door or, or as a hedge line, certainly. Yeah, because there's not much flowering at the moment, is there? And certainly scent, of I think, is one of the best things about mm. gardening. And a nice idea, put one by your front door or a pair of them either side and Ideal. walk yes. out to a lovely smell every morning. Indeed. I know we, we put a nice display together the other day with things which were just coming into flowers. So you've got your things like your, uh, obviously, your hemimelis, your, you know, your witch yeah. hazels, which actually flowered quite a lot earlier. A lot of them at the garden centre here were in flower before Christmas. But we've got one or two little late lingerers which are looking really good at the moment. So I mean, yeah, because right. yeah, they have really sort of I won't say weird, but mm. I think they're weird sort of flowers. Is it the stamen that yeah. you see sort of? It's almost like a crocus, the inside of a crocus flower when you see the saffron growing. It almost reminds me of that. Doesn't it? Yeah, I mean they have almost like a, a sort of spidery appearance. They're yes. all sort of yeah, sort of all sort of zigzaggy and quite quite different from any other plant. Of course, they are slightly ericaceous, so. You have to sort of treat them quite carefully. And I was always taught that they need to be planted in a little bit of shade, sort of woodland setting. So if you've got a nice area in the garden with a, with a tree and your soil's okay, yep. it does make a lovely plant. And it makes it slow growing, so it'll sit there and create a lovely, uh, amazing bit of colour and scent, of course. It has a quite nice bit of scent to it. Okay, thanks for that then. So, what's been in the news this week, then, Chris? Yeah, there's, there's lots, lots going on, really. Um, obviously, we've got the the National Garden Scheme. They've announced their uh, the amount of money they took over the, the over the last year, which is which is good, of course. Um, a lot of people will, will be aware of the NGS Yellow Book Scheme and will have visited gardens. 
albeit in perhaps a more reduced way because of the pandemic, but they've, they've actually announced uh, over £3 million are going to various nominated charities, which is incredible, really. That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so nice when you get to go and see around your sort of neighbourhood's open gardens. Oh, I love gosh. it, and mm. it's always interesting to get some good ideas if you mm. want to see sort of... It's amazing how diverse people's imagination can be when it comes to gardens, and I think it's a great opportunity to see gardens that are sort of similar mm. to where yours is, is. So, yeah, and £3 million pounds is a... Yeah. Big old figure, isn't it? That's good. good it work. is. It is indeed. I mean, it's obviously the main charities there, but so really th- through the course of this year, obviously continue visiting. I think, and I think obviously as, as restrictions through the pandemic lift, we've probably got a bit more uh, keen to get out there as well. But we've got a little bit of a bit of news as well from our uh, Ripple Africa charity event, which we did through uh, through December, haven't we, Peter? Yeah, because don't know if you remembered when you buy a Christmas tree from us, we do we donate fifty pence to ripple africa and that means that they can go off and plant two trees mm. and uh, we managed to get 668 that's it trees yes planted, planted. Uh, yeah. or will be planted i think i don't think they've been planted just yet have yeah. they and but overall there was over twenty thousand trees yeah. trees uh, will be planted because of all of everyone's good donations, donations. Yes. it's been obviously a very good successful campaign so uh, yeah so you know a big thank you for our customers to support our cut christmas trees and and, uh, and yes, and such a, an easy way of, of, of donating and, and making a difference. That's it. And if you want to learn more about that, there was a podcast that we did a couple of podcasts ago, yeah, wasn't it? De- it with December, them. wasn't it? Yes, in December. Yeah. So have a listen to the podcast we put out at the 1st of December and you can mm. learn a bit more about it, what they get up to. Yes, and also we have some rather sad news to report uh, this month, Peter, and that was the, the passing of um, Mr Gardening, the legendary Peter Seabrook. Mm, I did read that, very sad, so uh, condolences to his family. Most definitely, mm. yes. he, he was just such an amazing journalist, wasn't he? I mean, he's so dedicated towards gardening, it was lovely to he, sort of listen to and read his um, articles. Yes, and I mean, he goes back, he's had a big connection with the gardening trade from a very early age. In fact, he, he, saved, uh, he saved money up at school to get a, uh, a visit over to Holland uh, and he actually uh, sort of wagged school <laughs> to right. get there. I was listening to one of his conversations uh, a few months ago and uh, yeah, he really, you know, gardening ran through his blood, definitely. He was he was the lifeblood of it and it showed right through. He had uh, a massive interest in, in sweet peas. He would enthuse about those. But of course, he was so well known to the sort of a generation in the 70s and 80s because he did a stint on um, Pebble Mill at One. Um, yep. Obviously, the famous Birmingham lunchtime programme, which I, I brought was brought up with. And that was my first indication of growing vegetables, to be very honest with you. Okay. Uh, he had a small little veg plot there, which he, uh, he uh, tended each week. And that was very insightful and then of course he did a small stint on Gardener's World where he replaced Percy Thrower when Percy Thrower was given the welly boot from from ITV for for advertising um, ICI chemicals if I remember rightly so he did a he was co-presenting that Uh, but he was also quite well known in America for for nearly 20 years he did a an American gardening program so he used to jet across over to Boston to do that so as well as all the stuff he was doing, obviously, in the UK. And, of course, for us as, as, as podcasters, Peter, I think he was inspirational because his first podcast um, uh, called This Week uh, in the Garden was first bro- broadcast uh, in December 2016. 
Wow. So, well ahead of us then. Oh, just a bit. <laughs> and he racked he's racked up over two hundred episodes in that time. So yeah. I think in that respect he he he, he adapted to uh, all sorts anything which was he was thrown at, I think he had a go at doing and he did it very, very well and uh, with such uh, prowess. And I think yeah, the gardening trade's gonna miss him, that's for sure. Definitely. And yeah. equally I think the general public will mm. because he really was the sort of spokesperson for the people. His, his articles in the sun and mm. they, they were just Aimed at you and I. The yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Every, everybody and everybody was was inclusive. He was never exclusive of his, the way he uh, spoke. And of course, he did lots of wonderful work for for the schools as well. He was a mantra for that. Yeah. And uh, Chelsea Flower Show will be a, a different place because obviously he supported so many growers and uh, obviously Sunflower Street, which uh, was quite innovative when it first came out and. Again, gave the a light to showing that anybody and anybody can get into gardening and make a really good job of it. Without a doubt, and equally a GCA mm. from a trade point of view. Yeah, the GCA inspector uh, a, a while back, and um, yeah, I think he was one of the sort of I say founding parts of the Garden Centre mm. Association, was. which is um, yeah. And one interesting fact uh, piece I did hear, and it, it makes sense now. His first. Book. He has quite a few books published. Was uh, shrubs in the garden, and part of the book was put to music. Okay. And the Sydney Opera House actually recorded it, right? Uh, as a as a special um, as, as a special occasion piece, and that's the piece of music. If you do listen back on to this week in your garden, uh, how that starts is that piece of music to his book, which I think is a wonderful fitting tribute, you know, uh, to the to the airwaves really. It certainly is. And our favourite flower show has got a new sponsor, hasn't it, Chris? It has, yeah. The RHS Flower Show is going to be uh, sponsored this year and for the next number of, actually next four years by the Newt. Uh, that's the, the hotel and garden venture down in Somerset, which I visited about through two or three years ago. Okay, um, what's it like? Very good. It, it is an amazing place. And it's well known for its wall garden, which has a, a really interesting maze of apple trees. Oh, right. A, a parabola. That's right. what they call it. Okay. That's the word of today. That's the, the new gardening word we've, we've all, <laughs> all learned. It's a, yeah, yeah. And it's an amazing place. It's, they've obviously thrown an awful lot of money at it, I have to say. The, the, I think the, um, the hotel had a major refit. And I think with, the, with that, they decided to spend quite a considerable amount of money on redeveloping the whole garden so it's yep. a set of garden rooms it's got a wonderful vegetable garden um producing i think sort of two or three hundred different types of herbs and veg okay. incredible numbers and it's got a traditional sort of uh, herbaceous borders very gertrude jekyll very traditional so it's a real mixture i, I enjoyed it. i only visited it once and it was on a hot hot summer's day yep. but i thoroughly enjoyed it it was a really good experience lots of water features as well so if you like okay. water features and like trickling water lots of things for, for children to be involved in quite a lot of interactive uh, displays too and they also produce obviously producing all those apples they produce lots of cider and they, right. have a, and they do cider production on site as well oh, so it's got a bit of everything there yeah so it's, it's very good so um yeah, it would be interesting to see how that benefits the uh, the, the newt in, in future. I'm sure the, the coverage it'll get will certainly put it on the map for the next few years. And, of course, the BBC are continuing as well to provide coverage for the, for the, for the which is good news. Yeah, yeah, because I'd hate to not be able to watch it on television because, obviously, the tickets are just... Mm, a little bit expensive. It's a bit of an expensive day out. I've never been and I'd love to go, but, um, yeah, I think... 
not being yeah. able to see it on the telly would be a great shame. Yeah, it? and I suppose it does beg the question, doesn't it, Peter? You know, the BBC at the moment is under a lot of... Uh, there's lots of discussion on how it's going to be funded in the future. And I'd be, I'd be very sad if we couldn't see things like the Chelsea Flower Show uh, on, mm. our, on our screens. Well, maybe Netflix will pick it up for us. Or Amazon watch. Prime, but yeah. we, we, we better watch this space, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes, and another newsy story from... Bristol University, and it's actually a new study suggesting, as, as if we didn't really already know this, that uh, our small urban gardens are playing a very important part in helping our bees and our pollinators. Yep. And we seem to be doing the right things with planting. And I think, let's face it, we as garden centres now, we're very, uh, very active in promoting the right sort of plants. And our growers, our suppliers are doing a wonderful job by labelling them in such a way that makes it easier to access that information. So mm. I think it's, it's good news. And hopefully this, this uh, extra study is just enforcing the fact that gardeners are doing a grand job and we need to, to maintain Keep that. It up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely, because mm. I totally agree. I mean, the seed suppliers, so, uh, you just have to look at most of the packets these days and they say sort of being, uh, bee friendly or that, that, that mm-hmm. sort of little badge that you see and it's a brilliant thing and yeah, I, I recently talking about nature a little bit more i recently read an article that was suggesting that shrews will eat bees and um, Ooh, there's been right. cases of it's very not very common but um obviously shrews aren't that common either mm, but the no. you know, little baby shrews are quite good at catching bees and they behead them and eat their insides as a oh. source of nutrients oh that's so, nice okay yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> possibly not the most positive no no but then i suppose inside, it's, but that's nature isn't it that's the circle of life as they yeah. say isn't it yeah okay and what we got going on this month then chris yeah, there's a few things sort of slightly retrospectively um, I thought I made a mention because as, as, January has been quite big in the, in, in the media for, for gardening, garden-related uh, antics. And, of course, we've had uh, Sir David Attenborough's new series, The Green Planet, airing on BBC One and on the BBC iPlayer. So if you haven't caught up with that, I really, yeah, strongly suggest you do. It's fantastic viewing. It's I mean, a good one, is it? It is. I mean, the photography and the, the clever photography to create, to, to pick up these amazing things plants do, yep. um, whether it's movement, whether it's catching insects, whether it's growing, um, it really will uh, give you a... <laughs> give you a bit of a headache if in fact that plants can do such amazing things i watched a um, time-lapse photography of um, some brambles Mm. a few years ago and i was just yeah it is incredible you think well it's a plant how's it ever going to know i mean you can understand they grow towards the light mm, but they but do so much more than that they, don't do. they? they sort of decide yeah. which way they want to go and yes yeah, it's very interesting yeah so certainly the, epi- the recent episode i watched uh, there's a, a plant called dodder um right. well known for its antics is it how it parasitizes and basically lives on other plants including things like brambles and nettles okay i didn't know it did what it did and certainly it's a plant we all need to be very wary of because it's got quite a quite a ferocious appetite in what it wants to do it wants to take food and goodness from all the plants around it and take world domination basically right so, and it grows in the uk does it uh, dodder is um yeah mainly the the, the, the the photography they did i think was further afield but i haven't seen dodder in the uk personally but i'm, I'm it's it's more of a, a tropical plant, okay. Uh, but my word, does it grow and does it do some really nasty <laughs> work to plants which are trying to grow? Um, because you're saying about time lapse, um, the, the one of the episodes um, uh, Sir David looks at is how over the course of the, the, the changing seasons after the winter, how the the uh, the forest floor basically regenerates and which plants sort of appear first. Usually it's nettles, brambles, and then yep. other things. Well, this dodder 
or takes the opportunity of piggybacking all those sort of plants to maximise its own good. Um, yeah, it's um, amazing. Such facts. I mean, the thing is with um, with all those sort of programmes, you learn so much, you know, from the, the yeah. natural planet. Well, definitely. I know I haven't started watching it yet, but I do intend to. Mm. And, uh, looking forward to yeah. you know, watching that. Yeah, and on a totally different front, uh, we've had uh, Monty Don uh, on his um, series called Adriatic Gardens, which is just finished on on the uh, on the TV, which obviously is on the iPlayer. Again, I'm not a massive Monty Don fan per se. However, yeah. when he presents these sort of travel log gardening programs, um, yeah, very very good. Again, fantastic filming, really good narrative commentaries, and some amazing gardens as well. So okay. uh, that's one wealth we're looking out for on the uh, on the iPlayer. So it's uh, Monty Don's Adriatic Gardens. Okay, the Kew Gardens Orchid Festival mm. is returning. I, I mean, I, yes, yeah, orchids I love. I think they're so. One of the best flowering plants you, I think you can grow because they're Definitely. so easy. They're so, yeah. I just, I think they're and brilliant. That's why they're number one in the, the popular charts as flowering plants these days, isn't it? Because yeah. of they're so good and reliable. But uh, yeah, the Kew Gardens Orchid Festival does return after obviously taking two years out. And it runs from the, the 5th of February through to the 6th of March. And uh, yeah, it's they usually use a, one or two of their conservatories there to create some amazing displays. They build these displays from scratch, bringing in plants from everywhere and everywhere to create a display, which is yeah, pretty pretty spectacular. Excellent. Okay, well maybe we can go and see that then. Mm. Mm. Yeah, put it on the list certainly. We were talking earlier about snowdrops, weren't we? And mm. you found a wonderful website, haven't you, Chris? Yes, indeed. Um, certainly in the UK, um, yeah, greatbritishgardens.co.uk have a, a particular section on their website which highlights all the fantastic gardens, large and small, which have sort of snowdrop collections. Um, so click on there and uh, you can obviously see what's available. It also gives you links to their websites for obviously admittance and entry, yep. entries and such like. But I think it's a really good way, especially you know if you want to find somewhere local which has a really nice snowdrop collection. And of course, the month of February into early March is the time to go and see them. Um, I yep. suspect with the weather being as chilly as it has been, things are holding back quite nicely. So hopefully we'll be able to enjoy them well into into February. So uh, yeah, check the website. We'll put a link on the on the show notes. Brilliant. So I know it's February now, but um, obviously we've had the potatoes in for uh, mm. what's about the last month now, isn't it? They yes. generally come in. You know, we got them out mm. a little bit earlier, just before Christmas this year. Normally they come out in between Christmas and New Year. But lovely to see all the what we got 40 or uh, 45 different varieties of potatoes yep. uh, out for sale at the moment leads us on to graft and grow day doesn't it it does peter yes we're excited it's returning again it's been uh, obviously quashed because of uh, covid but we're we're back on saturday the 5th of february to talk basically um we'd, well, we're going to talk potatoes there's going to be yep. a, a potato representation but mainly it's all about uh, fruit tree grafting we have invited the midshires uh, orchard group to come along and uh, there's two two grafters uh, andy and um, steve they'll be our grafters for the day and they'll be sort of demonstrating and actually doing grafts of apples pears plums for those people who want to see a graft done literally in front of them or they want they've got some cyan wood some variety wood from a different variety they want to to actually attach to a, a rootstock so um very educational so if you fancy yep. learning a whole new skill um it also there's an opportunity to to exchange cyan wood so that's different 
varieties a lot of them are heritage old varieties which are brought over from uh, all around the sort of three counties of, of Buckinghamshire uh, Oxfordshire and into Northamptonshire as well as Gloucestershire as well so we get a, a whole um, sort of gene pool of, of these varieties which people bring along to to be possibly exchanged for another variety which people then might want to take home and graft and and, and grow their new new um, fruit tree yeah. Um, with a lot of heritage attached to it so yeah okay. very, very exciting um, yeah and uh, just thinking about that chris can uh, customers bring sort of a section of wood from a fruit tree that they've got in their garden and have that grafted they can yeah so if they've got something that's not doing maybe quite so well pick a good bit off and and how much how, how much sort of wood do you need and which yeah, bit of so the tree do you need? Generally, yeah, so you need sort of a pencil thickness stem, uh, obviously, yeah. of, of growth, which is probably one to two years old. So sort of pencil okay. thickness. So, yeah, bring two or three pieces in with you. Um, like anything, there, there is a small grafting charge for the service, but obviously we've got all the uh, the rootstocks, all the apple rootstocks, for example, uh, a good range of different uh, vigors, so you can okay. obviously graft onto the right variety there. So it's a really good way, and uh, obviously we're, we're also trying to encourage this year uh, lots of local schools to get involved in this this particular weekend. So we've uh, we announced our best dressed potato competition, and I contacted over twenty schools a couple of weeks ago, um, right? And hopefully we're going to get some nice uh, entry is for uh, so a bit of um, potato decorating from the local schools as well to keep it all very potatoy and, and also an awareness that yeah now is now is nature's natural time to start you know ch- sort of chitting your potatoes sprouting them on the windowsill to be planting sort of early march onwards brilliant so that's saturday the 5th of february and do you if you do want to bring a section of apple tree or pear or cherry wood in do we need to book or anything we just turn up yeah just literally turn up peter yeah we, we, we're not sort of creating any booking slots but it'll be, it'll be quite a busy day so we're running the event from 10 a.m through till four in the afternoon so there'll be plenty of time to uh, to get get the uh, the necessary uh, action required on your your bit of sign wood so yep. it's allocated to a new things and obviously you can have a look and see how it's done um, they work incredibly quickly with some very sharp knives so it's uh, yeah that's <laughs> help, my memory memory of yeah. um, grafting is the, the knife has to be razor sharp and every day before you start grafting you have to sharpen your knife yeah but it's a it is a precision uh, instrument they use but it's uh, it's a fascinating process and you you know just watching them do a few will will help you then maybe to go home and, and have a go yourself as well which is the whole the whole point of the weekend well, yeah, is, to, is to try and encourage people to to uh, you know experiment with grafting because it's such a great way of of building up your stock i remember you can graft more than one variety onto a rootstock um, you know many varieties can uh, be, 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 be attached quite safely and successfully uh, you know three varieties of apple or or three on a pear tree absolutely fine even more can be be attained um, so uh, yeah if you've got a limited space you want to grow a family fruit tree then this might be the opportunity to come down and get uh, three good varieties your favorite varieties uh, grafted brilliant excellent thanks chris and in the middle of the month, obviously, we've got Valentine's Day. So Valentine's always interests me why the rose is chosen for Valentine's. But I suppose a good opportunity for us to plug the fact we've got a good deal on root-wrapped roses. And Indeed. And we, and we do some nice red roses as well, don't we? I mean, it's, it's, it's popular. And it's a great time, perhaps, horticulturally, to be planting them too. So maybe for that reason, uh, the middle of, of February uh, traditionally is the time. And you've got really till probably the middle of March to get your, your root-wrapped and your bare root roses in. Yep. If, if you're creating a nice hedge line, it wouldn't be you know, a bad 
idea to get those in as well. But uh, yes, I'm never too sure. Any, I mean, any sort of red flowers is symbolic of love, I'm sure. But uh, well, plant some you know, roses in your garden. You'll enjoy them a lot more than just one day. Definitely. And I think climbing roses are mm. so good for sort of covering fences and things like that. that yeah. If you want to have a nice long flowering plant that keeps going for a while, it's a really good plant to... Certainly, yeah, and I did a, a, a recent talk at the, at the garden centre, and I was talking about cl- celebrating climbers, and the amount of questions I got at the end about roses—they seem to be the the plant, and a plant which obviously will give you sort of maximum amount of colour, you know, for for very little effort. And uh, that takes us on to um, the masterclass for uh, for February, which this. What's that on this month then? Yeah, completely different from climbing plants. We're going to be looking at uh, vegetable growing for beginners. Okay, so. Hey. Maybe I should come along and learn how to actually grow something, should I? Okay. You're more than welcome, Peter. And everybody's welcome. Do you, do you, do, do you cover peas and we how do. you can get them to not be eaten by mice? Oh, gosh. I, I'll, I'll create a new, a, new, a new section for that. But no, we, 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 do, we do cover sort of the basics. And, and sort okay. of asking the questions, you know, if you are starting a little vegetable garden, whether it's a raised bed or just a, a few plants in a, a window box or even in a hanging basket, what you can actually grow. But it's all... I try and do it in such a quite a, a simplistic way. But at the end of the day what you grow you know you want to be you want to be able to grow it you want to be, re, use it for a reason yep. and not just because it looks attractive or pretty i think that's it and yeah. equally i mean from my experience of growing mm. vegetables the flavor mm. is really that's what is the major benefit of you grow some sweet corn well i'm lucky to have an allotment and i can grow yeah. them down there and they just you so much better than shop bought ones, so, and yeah. I know my mother loves growing lettuce. And mm, for that reason, yes. again, you, you go and pick a fresh lettuce, and it, yeah. they do taste better. So, yeah. I thoroughly recommend people come along and have a listen to that. Certainly, and yeah, we, we do cover uh, things like root crops, which are sort of deemed a little bit more difficult, but certainly carrots I find absolutely a doddle to grow in raised beds now. I have no problems growing them, whereas on okay. my allotment years ago, I really was plagued by carrot root fly and all sorts of things. So, uh, hopefully, there'll be advice you know across all all uh, all areas to give people that little bit of inspiration and hopefully put them in the right direction to grow some nice nice things in the in the veg in garden. The garden yeah yeah because uh, i was fortunate enough to um, have a purple carrot oh, with my nice. roast the, the other weekend mm. I, i'd never had one before and really tasted nice I, quite, I don't know unfortunately it came from a company that specializes in selling odd shaped vegetables so ones mm, that are deemed okay. not fit for the supermarkets excellent and mm. in the box that came you know, with all these funny vegetables there was you know, these purple carrots and they were purple on the outside and a sort of yellowy orange core right so i don't know i mean i had a look at the seed packets and there's obviously a couple of different types it could have been but mm. it's really nice flavor i was really good. impressed with it excellent yeah, that sounds good i mean it was, it was originally with the the dutch breeding obviously um, orange being the, the the national color of the netherlands we got orange carrots wasn't it originally right. they were not orange so okay so they're going back to how they they should be rather maybe than, that's yeah. why it tastes so nice possibly and also in the news i, I noticed uh, quite a few <laughs> manufacturers are finally getting around to changing their packaging and bringing it up to the sort of 21st century aren't they it's so good to see that the likes of Hoselock and fostrogen mm-hmm. are actually trying to get away from plastics and un- or non-recyclable plastics and moving towards cardboard and more easily recyclable packaging which i, I think is great i mean the, every the manufacturer did this it would certainly make the waste streams 
so much easier to recycle, I'm sure. I'm sure, Peter, you're absolutely right. And it does it frustrates me even more when I see um I mean I saw one of the supermarkets promoting their their discount vegetables and they're all in um in plastic packaging on yep. the screen. I'm thinking this is not the right sort of message we're trying to get across. And as garden centres, we yeah, we're trying to be as green as possible and if our manufacturers, suppliers are Helping that that cause that can only be a good thing, especially with uh, the likes of the uh, yeah the, the, the use of recycled plastics in in packaging. So. Well, yeah, I know one one of the reasons we moved away from Gardman Bird Food and moved to Henry Bell mm. was the fact that they were one of the first bird food manufacturers to actually put all of their products, the majority of their products, into recycled packaging. And Perfect. you just yeah. think, well, yeah. a plastic bag's a plastic bag. And yeah. the same as like when you get a magazine through the post, do you really care whether you can see the cover or not? You know what's in it. Does it matter if it's slightly opaque? I really don't think it does. No, and I think no. it's so much more important to think of the environment than it is just yeah. to make everything so sparkly and glittery yep. and clean <laughs> most definitely and it's encouraging that the uh your phosphogen's having a, a, a repackage as well and they're going to be a an organic version of their the, of their product which is great and i noticed it's on the on the shelves now so that's okay. that's really good news so it's got it's all phosphogen mm. my memory of it's like that orange um, mm. cardboard box yes that yeah. you always had to keep somewhere dry and not in the shed because it, um, <laughs> it absorbed <laughs> moisture out of the air and um, yeah. slowly went off yeah those those crystals became very hardened and yeah a little bit like how miracle grow <laughs> responds in my uh, in my shed at the moment because there's a bit of a dampness there but yeah i mean things like storing uh, granular feeds is, is good i mean liquid feeds are slightly different because obviously they are going to be in a re- recycled plastic bottle but yep. i think it's more difficult for the other products but it is yeah about saving um obviously making sure you do store them in a nice cool dry uh, atmosphere where, where possible and they last for several years don't they they can do yes i mean m- most people use them quite, well, certainly in my household they tend to get used to quite quickly but yeah if you have to store them then uh, yeah make sure that uh, they're in the right place and uh, they're accessible so you do use them that's the thing they can be tucked away and yeah you forget about. about them i mean certainly yeah. i know mm. fertilizers I, I i tend to have liquid I, I i like maxi crop and i've had a bottle of that in my shed good couple of years and mm. I, I mean you just use so little of it and yes uh, uh, even if it, I watered every week with it. I think it still lasts a year. It's such good value. Yep, yep. No, that's very, very true. But uh, I noticed also noticed on the uh, the other sort of products, the, the coffee lugs, they're having a bit of a makeover, aren't they? Yes, they've um, dropped, I'm going to say, paraffin wax from mm. their coating on the outside. So right. I guess they've maybe updated their manufacturing process. Mm. They've reduced their carbon footprint. It's only 6% or something. But And that's a, one mm. of those products that when you think about it, you're like, well, why haven't we been doing that for time immemorial? I mean, at the end of the day, coffee grounds, you start off with a coffee mm-hmm. bean and yep. you grind it up and make a lovely cup of coffee out yep. of it. And our, our waste here at the garden centre gets recycled by Corley Recycling. And um, they're actually one of the waste waste companies that collects the coffee grounds from big retail mm. establishments. Okay. And I, I should imagine the tonnage of coffee grounds they collect is quite significant because it always amazes me how much coffee we go through each week um and yeah they obviously collect it and then they send it off to cambridgeshire Mm -hmm. where where they turn they they process all the coffee grounds uh, and dry them out and then stick them together and turn them into coffee logs so we can burn them on the on our fires that's great. And I'm seeing so many of them around now. It seems to become a really popular product. 
It's very popular. It's in all the supermarkets or mm. certainly all the ones around here. And mm. yeah, like you say, I mean, I think my brother's burnt a few. And when we took them on, um, we wanted to check they did actually burn because there was, a, I can remember a few years ago, quite a few log type products that they look great, but they didn't actually burn that well. Whereas the coffee logs really do burn well and they're a nice sort of full circle product, I suppose, yep, aren't yep. they? They certainly are. A great example of good recycling. That's it. And something that made me giggle a little bit, uh, it was the article I was reading in GTN about um, popularity of houseplants and mm. the fact that on uh, some research done by Flowercard, uh, TikTok, um, which some of our viewers may know as, it I did. thought it was a video sort of sharing yes, yes, yes. Pr- platform. Yeah. The most popular houseplant was a cactus and then followed by an aloe. And then the Venus fly, fly trap. And then on Instagram, the most search was uh, the cactus and then the tulip and then the aloe. Um, and researches on Google mm-hmm. were the aloe, the cactus, and then the hibiscus. Oh, right. Okay. So quite a there's a bit of a theme going on there, isn't there? Yeah, Certainly, cactus are clearly the mm. winner yeah, <laughs> in and the aloe, most popular search. Yeah, and I suppose aloe vera, you know, notoriously good as it is, it's the, the plant you have in your kitchen or your bathroom just in case you get those uh, incidences where you need to sort out a burn or a scold. Well, uh, that's it. I mean, I, I'm trying to think. Uh, the majority of my friends, I think, do have aloe vera plants in their yeah. houses. Yeah. And do. that's quite easy. No, I, mean, I, I guess for our listeners... We should maybe give them some tips on yes care because uh, I'll I'll confess mine lives in the conservatory okay and it gets watered generally once a week um, I think in the summer it possibly could do with more water because mm-hmm. it dries out massively between um, yep. leaves now someone told me that if it goes red or slightly sort of ready brownish mm-hmm. it's is it getting too much sunlight it's, or yeah, it's getting a bit stressed? Yeah, it's a bit, a bit stressed possibly. I know. I mean, aloe veras generally um, just always need a bigger pot. That's the thing. They if they're getting a bit restricted, they tend to not like those sort of conditions, and we'll sort of show that quite a bit. But yeah, keeping okay. it well watered through the spring from from next month, from March through to September in the winter. Yeah, keep it on a dry regime. But my, I've got one uh, which I, I brought over back. Legally, I have to say, from Gran Canaria a couple of years ago, because okay. um, obviously over there they grow. Um, and mine just keeps doubling in size, sort of every I don't know six or nine months now. It's getting huge. So I repotted it the other day. Not probably the best time of the year to pot it, but it was getting so top heavy, it was starting to fall over. Yes, <laughs> and, I have. That and in the bathroom, you don't want an aloe vera falling over in the bathroom, really. Well, they're a bit spiky, they're, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Not. Not. Not good. So uh, that's what it got. But no, you're right, Peter. They, they. They. Their demands on water are quite. Quite. A lot. And I think actually giving an aloe vera a, a session outside in our lovely hot sunshine is not going to do it any harm at all. Okay, so, so the conservatory isn't a bad place to grow them. Though, most definitely, Ma- maximum light. Make sure yeah. they get enough water to yeah, t- benefit t- from yeah. that. But they they do grow, and I, I do feel a little bit uh, reluctant to, to remove the lower leaves because they're getting so large now and, and quite unruly. But obviously, in the normal train of things, you would be using them on a regular basis. But uh, not, not well, hopefully, you don't have no. to use them no. on a regular <laughs> no, basis. No, I, think I feel the... as though I should be using them. But uh, no, a great plant. I'm very you know, unforgiving. When the plant gets to a certain size, they do produce an amazing flower as well. Right. I've never seen. I have to say, maybe our uh, our dig it uh, audience can 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I've never actually seen one flower in a pot, but certainly when you see them growing in their, their natural habitat in, in down in Spain and that part of the world, they do produce a wonderful large flower, you know, towering about eight to ten foot tall. So they big do produce big old plants in time. So uh, for that reason, yeah, we all we all should grow an aloe vera just for the the sheer fun of of what they can do to our uh, to help enrich our lives. Well, so beneficial, and mm. is yeah. just thinking, is there more than one variety that we should be growing? Because my one is, I thought sort of quite spiky, but mm. you get some which seem to have a lot uh, sort of little white spots yes. on their leaves. Uh, is that just different growing conditions? Possibly, yeah. Because mine looks more like a cactus. Yeah. I think I think if you go to a specialist uh, cacti nursery where they do a good range of succulents, then you probably would find different variants. But I think just the straightforward aloe vera per se might have slight variations in its in its growth pattern, that, which might give you those little little markings on the leaves perhaps. I don't know. But uh, okay. it's usually fairly clear of uh, blemishes and things. But again, it's it's a tough plant. And, you know, you, you often see pe- people, you know, historically when you go abroad, they might actually graffiti onto a, a, a cacti and things. Dreadful thing to do. But of course they expand as yep. the plants grow. And of course aloe veras are a, a perfect example where, you know, any uh, expansion of the cells will magnify whatever's sort of written into the stem. Yeah. Yeah, so all this talk on, on houseplants, Peter, perhaps just a reminder for our listeners um, that we can obviously go back to Jane Perone's wonderful chat about houseplants and how to grow them going back into our uh, uh, our December podcast, wasn't it? So, yeah, December. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, obviously, you know, if you've still got your poncettia, mm. uh, there were some tips on uh, poncettia yeah. caring yeah. that as well, wasn't Yeah, <laughs> your date on one of mine, Peter. The pink one has finally started to drop its leaves. The red one... I have to say, it looks exactly like it did on Christmas Day. It's not changed wow. a bit. So that's go. done well. Then. That's done incredibly well. And uh, yeah, that's that, again another thumbs up for UK growers because these came from our our supplier down on the on the south coast. So uh, well well done to them <laughs> to keep it looking so good. Brilliant. And what tasks should we be getting on with now, Chris? Oh well, February it's a bit of a mixed bag, really. There's things we can start uh, off in the. On our windowsills, I'm thinking really of good old potatoes. We were chatting about them earlier. Yeah, chitting potatoes. Yeah, so a nice, you know, bright location, not too warm. Um, and you can start them off, obviously, in your uh, your egg boxes or your seed trays, um, rose end upwards. So that's where the little tiny shoots are going to start to grow from. Yep. Um, set them up there. And that's what I, I did over the weekend. And they're, they're, they're going to hopefully produce a decent amount of growth for the first plantings in, in early March. Okay, so maybe I'm growing in the growing them in the wrong temperature, but my sort of potato chitting. Mm. How long should the sort of shoots be when you're planting them? Because mine always seem to be sort of three, four, five inches long by the time <laughs> I get round to putting them in the ground. And I, I, I thought they were only meant meant to be about two, three inches. Yeah, aren't they? usually a couple of inches. Yeah, so maybe light um, maximum light is good. Of course, at this time of year, light levels are low anyway. Um, and maybe just regularly turning the the tray or the, the the carton round so you get nice balanced light would would help okay. um, yeah, yep. might, that might help but yeah try and choose you know a south or west facing window if, if you can and yep. obviously temperature if it's too warm then that'll obviously encourage the, the the chits to start to produce obviously growth remember if they get quite long you can um cut them back pair of secateurs or some sharp scissors you can cut them back and that'll obviously stimulate shoots further down where you've cut from 
which will obviously give you more stems. And of course, we know potatoes are stem tubers. So the more stems your your tuber will produce, okay. the more crop you will get. So actually nipping back your uh, little chits is actually quite a good little thing to be done, to be honest with you. It's not a, I, I not never a thought thing. of, because I've, yeah. I've always historically just rip the whole things off and to make mm. turn them back into bold potatoes again. And... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Try and, try and keep and re- retain some of the, the stems there because they will effectively affect the uh, amount of How crop. How many potatoes you, could, you yeah. get. And you'd, yeah. no, I, I, I think I was also told you meant to only have, is it four, three or four chits per potato? Yeah, I think that's, that's realistic. Yeah, especially if you're, you're growing them in the open garden. If you were growing them in a pot, you could let a few more develop because obviously you you're relying on that particular potato to produce your crop. So the more uh, shoots and the more stems you can produce, then hopefully the better crop you're going to get long term. Especially with, you know, varieties like Charlotte, you know, smallish potatoes. Um, yeah, if you can create a good structure of, of shoots uh, in the pot, then that's going to be a good sign that you're going to hopefully get some a decent uh, weighty crop. Yeah. Okay. And all the bulbs arrived the other week, didn't they, Chris? They did, yes. And it's so good to see summer uh, arrives on a pallet in the in the form of you know, gladioli and those dahlias and begonias. Yeah, it's uh, it's very heartwarming at this time of the year, isn't it, to see uh, potential summer colour? Yeah, definitely. And obviously the uh, shallots and garlic. And mm. I think we've got quite a few shallots this year, haven't we? Yeah, there's, there's a, I counted actually five varieties, but the, the, the two which caught my eye were Golden Gourmet and uh, Red Sun. They're two really good varieties this year. Um, I don't think we've had red sun in for, for a while so that's a, a good is that one you've grown before i have grown it yeah i don't okay. grow that many shallots but i always like to to do grow a few um yep. and i usually start mine off uh in the cold greenhouse in a in uh in the, uh, the, the the cell trays so you know these are 15 or 20 cell trays just pop a bit of compost in there just uh push on the shallot halfway in, uh, give it a bit of a water, water them in, and then just leave them to produce a nice strong root system. And then I have something almost like a plug plant to put in uh, early part of March, so in about so these, a month's time. Are we talking about what I know as root trainers? or You could use root trainers, yeah. I'd probably I'd save those for the runner beans and the broad beans later, but uh, just an ordinary, uh, almost like a bedding plant tray is absolutely fine. Okay. So if you've got some of those hanging around, you'll get a nice strong root system. And it doesn't be also schlots a bit like onions can get pulled out by the birds. Yep. So if you've got a nice strong root system in when you're planting. It makes it a lot heavier for them to <laughs> try and more difficult. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, that makes sense. So the little like six pack you know, mm. plastic trays that you yeah. get for when you buy the bedding, that, that's a yeah, really can, good use for recycling, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, if you've got, um, I mean, obviously we do, uh, I think, 18 and 12 pack ones. If you've got something with a slightly smaller cell, then obviously you're not going to use as much compost. So if you're wanting to do a nice batch, I usually do uh, usually a 20 pack. I don't grow more than 20 shallots. So that's usually enough for the kitchen. So, and that's, yeah, probably half a pack. Okay. So yep. that keeps me going as well. So yes, it's a good way of getting that little bit of a head start. If you've got a, you know, if you've got a coal frame or a, a coal greenhouse, I probably wouldn't recommend growing those on a windowsill. They need a bit more cool conditions, right? To to, to encourage those roots to to form. Okay, and I suppose carrots we can think about now, yeah. can't we? Start is it early 
early nonce. That's the one. Nance. That's the variety. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So get those in uh, probably the latter end of, of this month, I would say, unless you've got a, a cloche. If you've got some cloches over, you can put over so you sort of warm your soil up. But yeah, get those in because they, they'll germinate within a couple to three weeks at this time of the year um, okay. and get those going as well. So yeah, if you want to start those with your, your shallots and your uh, your potatoes, you're, you're, you're at least making a head start. Probably a little bit early for your, your tender beans, but maybe broad beans could go in as well now. Okay. And with the spring sort of in the air nearly, it's, it must be time to think about forcing rhubarb, isn't it? Yes. So if you've got a reasonably well-established crown, um, obviously then now really is the time to start either putting a bucket over over your, your uh, rhubarb um, or a bin, um, a plastic bin, or you can buy... Dust bin, I suppose. Dust bin, probably yeah. be about the right size for my one. It's, it's enormous. You've got it, 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 my rhubarb, yeah, I've, I'm really mm. pleased. I've got three little baby bits off it, so I've split mm. it. Excellent. And the trouble with rhubarb is you can't crop from it for a couple of years, can you, once you plant it, sort of split it? Needs, it, it so. needs a rest between plantings. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but the other thing, Chris, I was going to talk to you about was my rhubarb. Um, I'm going to say it's sort of growing out of the ground. Does that make sense? So the yeah. the woody bit, the, mm. uh, it's the exposed. crown, yeah, it's, exposed. it's sort of getting taller and taller. Mm. Do I need to worry about that? I mean, sh- anything I should be doing with it? I think if it's doing that, I, I, it's going to be going to be more vulnerable to to heat, to the sun, which obviously yep. is not a good thing, and, and obviously possibly to too much moisture too. I would give it a really good mulch, a nice, generous mulch, so you cover the entire area. Okay. Um, go down to, if, if, if you can get some real rotted manure or garden compost, go down to probably three three inches over the Over the area. top of over the plant. The top. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it'll be no doubt starting to shoot. It's mm. not going to be too late to do that. No, I, I think where the actual, uh, where you start to see the, the, the bulbous bit start to push through, just perhaps just keep the the, uh, the mulch a little bit away from that. But the rest of the, the solid mass you've got there, try and cover just that. Cover it all and over. that'll do two things. It'll stimulate the plants into some good, strong growth as well, as well as feeding them as well. So you, you're getting a, a double barrel uh, effect by, by just doing that as well and if you'll find it'll obviously hold moisture a lot better because obviously if it's exposed if that uh, that woody part of the plant is exposed because it is almost like a, a rhizome yep. sort of structure it's a very odd structure is a is a, is a rhubarb crown it's a funny thing isn't it, it, is. it, it, it but that what you're saying makes sense because i know certainly last summer I, I don't water it, I mm. must confess. It, it just grows and it grows very well. But last summer it definitely looked like it was sort of wilting a bit in it. Yeah. So hopefully that'll help it next uh, this year, mm-hmm. not next year even. It'll be all right through the year, yes, indeed. So, excellent. Well, I'll, I'll go and do that then. And it's also that time of year when we can start thinking about repotting a few things, isn't it? Is it like the woody shrubs, would you mm. call them? So if you've got... Maybe an acer, yes, or something yeah. like a small tree growing in a pot. I think anything on your on your deck or on your patio which needs a needs a bigger pot now is the time to do it before it starts to come into growth next month. Really, um, okay. And you're working with nature because the plant's obviously still in dormancy. Um, although I was looking at, I mean, my aces are starting to the buds are starting to swell on them already. So sooner yep. rather than better. And just basically the usual rules: get yourself a nice generous pot. Um, Good size, obviously, you know, probably half the size again, bigger if you've got a big plant. Because obviously, okay. if you do it in sort of two smaller steps, it becomes expensive more than anything to keep yep. changing the pots. 
good good crocking so good drainage in the bottom and then obviously make sure you get yourself a good compost particular to the plant so if it's uh, an acer yes an ericaceous peat free one if you can find one but certainly ericaceous um and then obviously for your other trees you might be you know replanting you know things like your willows a lot of people grow willows in pots and such like yeah. uh, you know good quality peat free compost to, to get them a, a really good start and water them well in um, put some you might put some mulch around the top as well just to, to finish it off decoratively because obviously that looks good and job done really uh, and obviously That's if you if you're on a a solid concrete or a solid um, patio and maybe some uh, little terracotta feet just to raise the plants raise up, them up and yeah, yeah, yeah. save some freezing to the patio indeed yeah equally. and and bay trees can i repot my bay tree perfect time for that as well yes yeah i mean the bay trees you could put repot any time of the year but again it's one of those jobs where we're quiet in the garden get it done then it's it then it's done for the season excellent okay Oh, and finally, PC, it might be quite nice just to mention uh, Tiggywinkles, um, which are our charity. Are charity of the year, aren't they? 2022? They are indeed. Last year was Wildlife Trust. Indeed. And we, have, we obviously change it each year, so mm. um, Tiggywinkles is all about hedgehogs, from my understanding. Yeah, it's, yeah it used to be very much centred around that, but they are now the basically a, a wildlife hospital per se. In fact, they, they are reputedly to be the busiest and the most advanced in the world so they cover lots of different animals but mainly yes hedgehogs play a very important okay. part in their their repertoire of, uh, of of patients as it were so wildlife rather than mm. sort of domestic indeed yes creatures and it's um i mean it's it's based obviously in Haddenham, just outside elsby so it's sort of oh, in our quite local to us then it is indeed and it was started 40 years ago by the uh, the stocker family uh, literally in their back garden Right uh, in Haddenham, so it's moved on, and uh, the family are very much involved in the. Uh, the family continued to to develop the charity into obviously such a well known name uh, out there. So we're, we're delighted to be supporting them this year, and we'll have an at our next event at our uh, Grafton Grow Day. We'll have a nice video playing of, of some of the work they do there as well, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, get a chance to, to visit the the, um, the the wildlife hospital at some point this this year as well to see what wonderful Definitely. work they do. So uh, yeah, yeah, It'd be really interesting. Yep. So to discover more about Tiggy Winkles, yeah, we'll, we'll put a, a link onto the uh, uh, the, uh, the show note page, and uh, we look forward to hopefully people t- trying to help them in any way they can this this year. Excellent. Okay, Chris. Well, I think that that just about wraps it up for us for this month. It, yeah, it's turned out to be quite a busy February, hasn't it, Peter? <laughs> Definitely. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.